Gospels to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians and the 5th chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and the message today will especially focus on verse 17. Hear the word of the true and living God. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead." And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new." And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Praise God for that portion of Holy Scripture. May his Holy Spirit apply it to each one of our hearts. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank uh, any visitors who are with us today. We're overjoyed that you could worship the Lord with us. And Just to let you know, there is a a fellowship time following the morning service in the lower level if you have opportunity to stay behind. This time, let us come before our great God in prayer. Let us pray.
Almighty King of glory, Jesus Christ, you are the triumphant conqueror over every principality and power. You are the one who on the cross defeated sin, death, and the devil. You have redeemed your people and purchased a full and free salvation for them. And when you ascended, or rather resurrected on that third day, emerged from that tomb and ascended to your throne, it was making a spoil openly over all of the enemies of God. You, O Christ, are glorious in all your ways. You are perfect. You are beautiful. You are lovely. You are worthy of our worship, of our faith, of our obedience, of everything. You are the one we desire to know. You are the one who gives hope and light and peace and joy in the midst of a very dark and miserable and sorrow-filled world. And so on this first day of the week, on what we call the Lord's Day, for we remember the resurrection of our Lord on this day. We thank you that we could be here in this place. Look around and we see the the snow falling. We see a sleepy city filled with uh, people who are using the day to rest from their labors and perhaps to catch some extra sleep. And, O Lord, that they would know that there is spiritual life here. We take no issue with those who for safety have have stayed home and and are listening in. But Lord, we long that everyone would desire to come into a place like this, to hear the scriptures read, to hear them explained and applied unto us, that we may learn what a great Savior you are. This is what we have, have found, Lord, that... You alone have the words of eternal life. And to whom else shall we go? And where else can we go? It is only with you that there is salvation. Only with you that there is forgiveness for sins. Only with you that there is true spiritual knowledge concerning all the confusion and muddle that seems to cloud our thinking and to misdirect our hearts. We ask, O Lord Jesus, that the glory of your Father would shine forth through your gospel. That indeed, as your word says, he, whoever has seen the Son has seen the Father. That we, beholding you as the incarnate Son of God by faith, would perceive the everlasting glory of the triune Jehovah. And that this great I am that I am, this one who spoke the worlds into being, would also shine in that glorious way in our hearts. This is the mystery of the gospel. It is not something that either the wisdom or the words or the efforts of man can achieve. It is all of grace, and it is all for grace, and it is all for your glory. And so we must bow down before you. We must fall down in dust and ashes and say, Who are we? To approach such a God. We have heard your law read earlier in the worship service, even those Ten Commandments, which speak of the law of love which we are bound to give you. 
And yet we can reflect upon the thoughts we have had in the past week, the words that we have spoken, the things we have done and left undone. And we are convicted in our own souls, saying that we indeed are miserable sinners, undeserving of the least spiritual or eternal blessing, indeed worthy of every manner of punishment, even that eternal. But Lord Jesus, deal with us not as we deserve. Have mercy upon our souls. Look upon us in compassion and kindness according to what you have purposed to do, even to save an unworthy, hell-deserving people to be used for your honor for everlasting. Save sinners. Save souls, we pray. Rescue them as fires, as, as brands from the burning fire. Snatch them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into your kingdom of light. Shine forth in all your glory, we pray, that you may be as you truly are, irresistible, and so much to be desired by needy souls. There is spiritual water here for us to drink. There is spiritual food for us to feast upon. There is spiritual life which can breathe into our, our barren starved souls help us lord you said at one point to a lame man take up your mat and walk you said to a man dead in his tomb come out lazarus and you are yet in the business of speaking impossible things into existence even giving spiritual life to souls that are spiritually dead It is this grace of regeneration, this wonderful new birth, this mystery of the gospel of salvation, which we desire to inquire into this morning. And may it please you, O Lord, to make it something that is edifying unto your saints. We know that rightly dividing the word of of truth is... um, is a task that has dangers both on the left hand and on the right. And there are those who are prone to stumble because of something said or, or something unsaid that would not be unto edification. And so we do pray, Lord, that your servant would be equipped with the spirit of grace and wisdom, wisdom necessary to really hold forth the full counsel of God in order that we would be humbled under it, in order that we would receive it, in order that it would be used of you to implant that spiritual life. We desire, O Lord, that our true and acceptable worship would indeed be as as it is, a sweet-smelling savor unto you in the person of your Son, O Great Father, that indeed you would sanctify it in him, And that it would be something that is powerful. Something that causes the very gates of hell to shake. Something that does indeed uh, put great dents in the, the thick spiritual darkness of our land. Our worship is our warfare. And it is appointed unto you to accomplish all your good purpose. Bless your means of grace. We earnestly plead. We ask that you would also be with those in our fellowship who 
are undergoing great trials and tribulations. We pray for uh, Gerda Decker, and we thank you that she could be here today. And we pray, Lord, that you would give her grace and strength in this season of her life. We also do pray for our dear brother, Ray Koopman, as he is um, uh, still recovering from his heart surgery. We pray for others, Lord, who are undergoing cancer treatments or uh, other kinds of physical affliction or other kinds of mental and spiritual afflictions that maybe no one else knows of. We pray that as we've already neared the end of the, the first month of this new year, that we would not grow complacent, that we would not grow um, despairing, but that in all things, Lord, we would be vigilant and sober, that we gird up the loins of our mind, that we would think spiritual thoughts, even the thoughts of Christ after him, and that we would be in this way transformed into your instruments, even as uh, the church is called to be that uh, city set on a hill. Help us, Lord, to shine forth into the darkness and to be the light of the world, even as we partake of Christ, who is that, that ultimate light. Help us now, we pray. Great sinners are we, and we know that there is great temptation also in the act of listening to messages. And so please forgive and sustain each person here. Bless, we pray, and bless to the uttermost. And hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now sing from Psalter 426, stanzas 1 to 3.
Beloved congregation of the Lord, recently we have been working through a series on the fifth chapter of the second book of of Corinthians, this epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was in deep trouble. Many problems were there, and he, in this uh, section that we've been especially focusing on recently, is seeking to defend his integrity as a minister against false and unjust attacks. This is uh, what he's doing, but he's also unfolding for us something of the character of true Christianity. He's sort of uh, getting into the very motivations for why he does things and what separates him from those who would pretend to be true believers and and servants of Jesus Christ, but are, in fact, anything but. Last week, we were especially looking at verse uh, 16, where the apostle writes this, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. We spoke about what it means to have fleshly thinking, carnal thinking. This, you see, is something that is very uh, important in all of Paul's letters. He's very careful, you see, to distinguish between the kind of thinking and the kind of life that characterizes non-Christians from those who are true Christians. And the normal way he speaks about this is those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. We spoke of last week about some of the marks of of thinking about others and thinking about Christ after the flesh. But this isn't the only place where Paul speaks of this. Really, if you would understand any of his epistles, you need to understand how central this is. So, for example, if you would look at the book of Romans, for example, Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 Let me just read some of the ways in which he speaks about this this difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or um, in hostility to against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you can see that there is uh, this, this difference that is spelled out here. Two kinds of people and two conditions of their soul. One who is in a state of spiritual death in the flesh, 
in darkness. And the other, who is someone who knows the grace of God. Someone who is a true Christian. And when we, when we preach in this way, when we preach in a biblical way, this is something that helps everyone. If we would, would rightly understand the differences between those who are truly converted and those who are not, those who are true Christians and those who are not, it would give such encouragement to the people of God as they can trace out throughout all their experiences, through all the things that they go through, the reality of God's work in them to give them assurance, to give them peace, to give them a sense of of what it is to really glorify God. And likewise, if we can, can trace out this difference and we can see that we are yet without God, And that is a a very sobering thing, but not a bad thing necessarily to come to the conclusion. Because if it would would really impress itself upon a person, that can be used to bring them to the place where the Lord would reveal his grace. And, And this all traces, all traces to the text that we'll be be focusing on uh, this morning. Because right after the apostle speaks of the flesh and how it is that he no longer has any part in it, he then goes to the origin and source of this difference that he knows personally and that all true Christians will and must experience. Verse 17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'd like to unfold the, the main doctrine that's found in this, in this verse and really look at it from a number of different aspects. And that is the doctrine of the Christian as a new creature. The Christian as a new creature. And first, I'd like to simply look at this term itself, new creature. Second, the cause of this new creature. And third, the evidence of this new creature. Well, I think this might be a case where the, uh, the King James Bible's translation might be misunderstood today. It's a, it's a very accurate, a very, very good translation. But so when we hear the word creature, maybe boys and girls, you're thinking of like an animal in a zoo. You think of all those different creatures that you would see. But the uh, more precise uh, understanding here is something that is created, something that doesn't hold its existence of itself, but rather comes into existence as the result of a creator. So perhaps modern translations, if you look at those, would say something like new creation, new creation. 
And uh, the sense is, is the same. There is, is something very powerful here used to describe the new, uh, the new Christian. A Christian is something that is created. It's, it's a work that is as miraculous, as wonderful, as supernatural as the very creation itself. It's not the case that through uh, human efforts or having the right procedures in a church or, or making the right kinds of arguments or going through this activity or that activity, we can make someone a Christian. Rather, it takes rather an act of God. Just as we could not create this universe if we tried, nor can we create a Christian. This isn't the only way, uh, rather the only place in which uh, Christians are referred to in this way. In fact, if you would look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, the same author Paul, he writes in this way, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. So he's saying, you see a Christian, you see someone who is really laboring to please God, doing works in conformity to his will. Well, that owes to the fact that he was created in the workshop of God. He is, that person is lovingly created in order to walk in those good works. And of course, this, this is really highlighting that wonderful grace that we call regeneration or the new birth. It's a change wrought by God in the soul whereby someone who is not a Christian would become one. It's a change that's not only described in this dramatic way as as a new creation, but also in in the sense of of doing a heart surgery. For example, in Ezekiel 37, verse 26, God speaks in this way, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put into you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, here, as, as, as other places in the Bible, you need to, to understand the kind of rich poetic language which is being used to describe spiritual truths. Can you imagine what it would mean if someone were to walk up to you and say, I, I have a heart of stone? If you would, would open me up and, and look inside rather than a, than a beating heart pumping up blood, there is just a huge rock there. Well, that would be that would be graphic, that would even be ridiculous. There's there's no way such a such a thing could happen. And yet this is used to describe the, the, the terrible condition of a soul that is apart from God. Just as that natural life could never exist with a stone heart, so also spiritual life 
can never exist in the person who does not have this heart surgery. Speaking of the spiritual heart. And it's, it's spoken of as, as something that creates total blindness to the realities of God when you do not have this new creation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto, unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Nothing of the truth of the Bible, nothing of the richness of the gospel, nothing of the purity of the law, nothing of the joy in the things of God is at all discerned by this one who is in their natural, unconverted condition. So, There is this change. There is this new birth. As Jesus Christ himself said, you must be born again. You must have this dramatic change that would take place. And it's it's something that is such an astonishing thing if you would think about it. It's, it's not something that is any small act by God to save a soul, to bring about this new creation. If you think about how, how Paul speaks about it in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he speaks about desiring that the Christians would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And if you just think about that, if you don't have a, have a sense for how great it is to be converted, what a wonderful miracle it is, you'll never understand what he's saying. If you have a sort of a view that you can just become a Christian sort of automatically by being part of the right church or going through the right behavior or performing the right prayer or the right uh, Bible reading, then you'll never make any sense of this. He's saying, well, well, what is this great power, the exceeding greatness, he says, of his power? All right, after that in verse 20, he says, According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. What he's saying there is the very same power which was necessary in order to raise that dead Savior into life on the third day. That very same divine power is necessary to give true faith to a soul. Yes, there can be all sorts of, of faith, all sorts of ways in which we, we confess to believe in the gospel. But the faith that really saves a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, it is a special work of God. And, and I think just, just letting that sit for a moment, thinking about what happens when a preacher opens the gospel, when he speaks of a glorious Redeemer, the Son of God come in our flesh, 
This one who, who was crucified in the place of sinners. This one who invites sinners to come unto him. To think about what happens when that is used to save a soul. Paul talks about that change in the very same language as a new creation in the earlier part of this same epistle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to really face this congregation. There is nothing more humbling than realizing how completely dependent we are. We can maybe understand that when it comes to our our natural creation. Maybe you, you really think about it and you think, well, I didn't do anything to bring myself into existence. I didn't do anything that, that persuaded me to come from my, from my mother's womb and to breathe life and to exist in this world. That was God's design, God's purpose. And yet also to come to that place spiritually and say that if you have even an inkling of true spiritual knowledge, if you have any love for Christ in your soul, if you have have even the, the smallest and most weak faith in your heart that is true faith. That is not of you, but it is a gift of a good and a gracious God towards you. If you would really come to see that, Christian, how much of a cause to praise his most holy name that would be. But let's not only consider this term itself, a new creature or a new creation, but let's also consider uh, more about how exactly this comes about. What is it that explains uh, this? What is the cause of this grace of regeneration or the the new creation? Well, I think it's, it's quite clear in our text. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So what he's he's saying here is a very uh, simple statement that anyone can understand. If this is true, then this must also be true. If it is true that you are in Christ, then this is also true. You have become a new creation. You have been born again. You are now changed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is what matters to bring that about. And that is that you are in Christ. This is something that's that's throughout the whole Bible. The speaking of of a mysterious and a glorious spiritual connection which joins Jesus Christ to every true Christian. It's union with Christ. To be in Him is to possess 
all of the graces that come from him. This is uh, very natural if you, would, if you would think about it. You know, of course, that this world that God created, he didn't just treat it like a great watchmaker. He didn't just sort of make a, a clock and then wind up that clock and, and sell it to someone else and, and never attend to it again. As creator, God cares for everything in his creation. He makes sure that it is sustained, that it exists, that it is preserved, and everything works according to its appointed goal, according to its purpose. So also with his new creation. His new creation, it is, it is owing to the care of this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the, uh, the greatest explanation of this relation of union to Christ is spoken of in the gospel according to John in the 15th chapter. There the Lord Jesus puts it this way, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. So what is he saying there? Well, he's saying, I'm like a great big grapevine. And my father, God, he is like the one who tends and grows that vine. He's like a gardener. Jesus goes on. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. So here Jesus is saying that that as I am like a great vine, so also every believer, every Christian, they are like these, these branches that are connected to the vine. They receive sap. They receive life. They receive energy. They receive nourishment, not from themselves, but rather from me. They are connected to me, and I am the one who gives them life. It's an illustration from the realm of nature, but it's very suitable to our weak, small minds to understand something of the depths of the mysteries of the gospel. That if you would see a true believer before your eyes, there is this that is happening with them. They are connected spiritually to this glorious person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes on in that chapter to apply it in this way in verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing, Jesus says. You can't do a single thing that is spiritually good without me. You cannot believe in my name. You cannot turn from your sin. You cannot understand the scriptures. You cannot utter a single prayer. You cannot obey the law of God. You cannot serve the Lord. None of these things can you do without 
me, Jesus says. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Take that, that branch connected to that vine, disconnected. What happens? It shrivels up and dies. Take that, that branch and stick it in the mud and see what happens to those grapes. They shrivel up and, and completely useless. So also, if in any measure we are not abiding in Christ, if we are beginning to rely upon our own wisdom, our own strength, our own, um, our own ability to persevere apart from depending upon the Lord Jesus, then we can never prosper in the Christian life. We can never yield that fruit of faith and hope and love and gentleness and kindness toward our neighbor. We cannot offer that true spiritual worship from the heart on the Lord's day. We cannot share the gospel with our neighbors. None of these things amount to anything other than just virtue signaling for other people to see. Just playing the Pharisee, except we do it by abiding in Christ, living in him, depending upon him. Just as this this new creature, this new creation called the Christian did not receive this life from itself, so also it cannot sustain that spiritual life. How is it with you today, Christian? Are you still reflecting upon this glorious doctrine of regeneration and conversion by God? Are you still recognizing that you can't do anything apart from the Lord Jesus' grace in your life? Are you holding fast to Him, abiding with Him, crying out to Him, for mercy and grace and strength for each passing trial that you encounter, for every challenge that that you face? Are you looking unto Jesus Christ? Or do you know any of that at all? Has your life really ultimately just been dependence upon what you can figure out with your own mind? Ultimately, your strength is of yourself. You are not a partaker of this grace. Well, my friend, it will never be any different except you are in Christ, except you are planted in him, connected to him, receiving your grace and strength from him. Never can you be a new creature, never a new creation Come to see this fact. Cease trying to become right with God in your own strength. Despair of your own wisdom. Despair of your own good works. Despair of every fleshly thinking. Of all fleshly attempts to rescue yourself. And simply fall into the arms of this one, this strong Savior who is able to save to the uttermost even the weakest and most failing of souls. So we see that in the, 
in the second place, not only the term itself, but also its cause, and that is union to Christ. And third, let us, let us look particularly at the evidence, the evidence of this new creature or new creation. We read here, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you notice that word new comes twice in this verse. It is a new creature. And it is um, the case that all things have become new for this new creature. And the word new here is is the idea of of fresh, unfaded, undefiled. It's the word you'd use if you would uh, go to an apple tree just as that that apple is just fresh, just right off of the tree. And you pick it up and it's it's just perfect. It's not been been rotted or or decayed or anything. Just a, a new, fresh start, a new a new thing that's being spoken of here. So there's a change that's referred to, and, and there's somewhat different ways of understanding what Paul is getting at here. What does he mean when he says that for the Christian, for the new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, I think the first thing to say is that Paul is referring to the great prophecies of Isaiah here. He is speaking to the work of the Messiah in making all things new. And you can see that, for example, in Isaiah 43 and verses 18 to 19. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's very clear. It's referring to the work of the Messiah in its, in its original context. There is going to be a great change that results from his mission and work when the Messiah comes, the, the prophet said. And he spoke about it again in the 65th chapter. For behold, I create new heavens, and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Well, we get a bit more clarity, don't we? It's, it's not just a passing way of the old and the bringing of the new, but a completely new world that is spoken of here. This world that is full of death and decay and sin and misery. Everything is going to be changed by the work of Christ. That is what everything is leading to. And, and most especially did the, uh, the Apostle John write about this in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. And there he writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, 
and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. There's a sense in which Paul is, is referring also to this. This is ultimately what the work of Christ is to save this whole wide world, to redeem this whole creation and to populate it with sinners that he has rescued and redeemed unto himself to be free from all tears and to be free from all sorrow. But the beginning of that does not have to wait until the end of the world when Christ returns. That is when the fullness of it will be experienced. But it is right here and right now. Whenever a sinner is born again by the powerful work of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, then it can be said of them as well, as we see in, um, in our uh, text here. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The moment that you are a true Christian, your relationship to everything has changed because you are like a little taste of that glorious future. It's like you're born out of your time, born out of your season. It's like the future is breaking in on the present. You are, as it were, a citizen of heaven in the midst of a land of death. You relate to sin differently, don't you, Christian? Before you would hear about your sin and, you know, it was just another problem. Maybe it would be a problem if someone else would see, if other people would call you out. But now you would prefer the greatest of, of physical afflictions over the least sin. You know, Christian, don't you, that sin is your enemy because sin is the enemy of your God. It is the enemy of your Christ. And you have a different relationship to your Bible, don't you, Christian? For it was perhaps only words on the page. It didn't strike you at all. You would go through family worship or you'd, you'd hear a Bible verse and it made no impression at all. But now, even if you don't understand everything, and and certainly no one does in the Scripture, you can say this has become the Word of God to you in truth. You receive it. You submit to it. You hunger for it. And you know that if you go for an extended season and you are not reading your Bible, your soul shrivels up. And it is not well with you until you make that a priority in your life. Most of all, most of all, you relate to this person differently, don't you? You are in Christ. You know him, Christian. When you hear of him, your heart burns within you. When he is absent from your eyes, your soul weeps. When he is close, then you have everything. When you wander, Away from his sheepfold, you cry out for him as your shepherd. 
He is the heavenly bridegroom of his bride, the church. And the true bride of Christ longs for every opportunity for communion with her heavenly husband. This is the mark of that new creation. These things are different. There's different thoughts in the mind, different emotions in the heart, different decisions that are manifested in your day-to-day carrying out of your, of your time in this world. The Christian thinks differently, feels differently. He or she lives differently. There is a difference. And we must search these things out. Are there evidences of, of grace in our life? Is there a hungering for the Word? Is there a desiring for spiritual knowledge of Christ? Is there a forsaking of sin? Is there a striving for holiness? These are the things that we must search into. And if they're absent, oh, my friend, if you can say that where you are today is where you were a year ago and the year before that and the year before that, and you can't say that there are victories over sin, you can't say that, that things have become new and are new every morning as you press on in your knowledge of Christ, then ought you not to see that your condition is desperate. But indeed, if there is no change and there is no daily change, greater and greater yearning for Christ, then it cannot sit well with you. You cannot be content with such things. You must be in Christ. You must be a new creation. You must be born again. Well, even this day, may it rightly be applied unto each one of us. Are we in the flesh or are we in the spirit? May the Lord himself rightly reveal this to our own minds. And wherever we may be, let us not be content with anything apart from being in him. Amen. In response to the message, let us sing from Psalter 426, stanzas 4 to 6.
Let us now pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word of truth, your word of truth which never lies to us. Though men may lie, though we may lie even to ourselves, you never lie. You are the God of truth. And you have spoken in your word concerning this great divide between those in the flesh and those in the spirit and the very clear difference between them as well as that which makes the difference and that is that wonderful work of God infusing grace into the soul bringing from death unto life and from darkness unto light. May it please you, O Lord, that by your spirit you would work this grace and miracle of regeneration, that new creation in our souls, so that we may in truth be heirs of heaven, living in the reality of that glorious future kingdom in this present evil age. We desire, O Lord, that none should perish, but that all should come unto life in Christ. And so we do pray that the mighty working of your gospel would be applied to each one, that they would hear the one who says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That he indeed would draw souls unto himself, and that in this way they would receive his life. They would be engrafted into him, receiving of his powerful supply of spiritual power and that in this way they would yield forth the fruits and the graces and the good works prepared for them before the foundation of the world. We glorify your name, and we pray, do all your good pleasure also in our hearts and lives. Amen. Will you now please sing from... uh, Psalter 426, now from stanzas 7 to 10.
following the benediction, we will sing Psalter 315 as our closing doxology. Now depart in peace and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.